Welcome to Diving Board, a show about artists, the art they create, and the wide range of social and cultural issues they explore. I'm Bill Valerio, and I run the Woodmere Art Museum, where we tell the stories of Philadelphia's art and artists. And I'm Stephanie Marutis of Cuvenda Media, where we produce narratives for social change. On today's show, we're taking you into the fast lane as part of our exhibition on the stock car racing photographs of Daryl Moran, who was NASCAR's first official photographer hired in the 1990s. Did you ever hear the term rolling thunder? Well, when you got a field, you know, of these cars with the power that they have of 40, 42, 45 cars that are coming down there, I believe, 800 horsepower, when they go by you at 140 to 150, you see why they call it rolling thunder because you can feel the power of the cars when they go by. You can almost feel the suction of the air that as they go by you, you know. And I mean, I could feel it down on the infield. Believe me, I was dirty by the end of a race. During Daryl's time shooting NASCAR, he documented the sport in a meaningful and creative way that captures the humanity of it all and so many other aspects that go into making auto races such a spectacle. And at Woodmere, we've set up three galleries of Daryl's photographs that give you a real sense of what it's like to actually go to a race from the moment you get to the track in the morning until it's time to leave when the races are over. I just really love the behind the scenes of NASCAR, and I love just being right there in the middle of it. And later on in the show, we're going to hear from independent photojournalist Cheryl Center. She also photographed NASCAR races in more recent years, between 2009 and 2017, and she's going to share her perspective with us and what her experience was like. It's intense because the cars literally are zooming in and out and, and you could get hit. And it's your fault if you get hit. It's not their fault because it's your job to have eyes all the way around your head and stay out of everybody's way. Before we decided to do a podcast about race car driving, I knew very little about stock car racing. And I've actually never been to a speedway or a racetrack. The same goes for me. I've never been to a race and really knew nothing about the sport either. I didn't even know what NASCAR stood for. How about you, Bill? No, I didn't. Well, when it comes to NASCAR, we were wondering whether our fellow Philadelphians were just like us or perhaps more knowledgeable. So Michaela Prell, who's interning at Cuvenda Media, uh, she hit the streets to find out and talked with a cross-section of people around City Hall. Let's hear what they have to say. Have you ever heard of the sport NASCAR? Yes. Do you know what it stands for? I do not. National, I don't know. So I'm a racing, that's all I know. National Association of Sports Racing. Do you have any guess for what NASCAR stands for? Nope. <laughs> I have no idea. Something with racing, but no, I don't know exactly. Uh, National Athletic. <laughs> no, I don't know. I would love to go to a NASCAR race. If you had tickets, I'd go in a heartbeat. And it's almost like going to the Kentucky Derby. It's really fun. I do not. What does it stand for? National Association of Stock Car Auto Racing. I see. I was close. <laughs> yeah. 
us better understand what Daryl Moran's photographs of NASCAR are all about, we're going to first hear what it's like to race a car and be a fan. To get us into the mindset, let's turn to Derek Jones and Nick Izzy, both colleagues of mine in the art world here in Philadelphia who've actually raced cars. For starters, Derek Jones owns and runs Atelier Fine Art Services, which is one of Philadelphia's largest art storage and art moving companies. When Derek is not at his day job, he loves getting behind the wheel at high speeds and is actually one of the factory drivers for Mini JCWs, which used to be called Mini Coopers. I think a lot of the racing mentality applied to the art world where um, you know, you're under these high pressure stakes of moving some really high-end art or an object that's really fragile um, and keeping your cool and being able to make decisive uh, decisions while you're under that pressure is really important. Bill, that is a fascinating comparison between what Derek does professionally, which is being responsible for valuable artwork and racing cars at very high speeds. I would have never put the two together. Me neither. But I totally get what Derek is saying, and he even takes the analogy a step further. I would imagine that actually a lot of artists would be good race drivers because they kind of stay calm under pressure. And uh, they also have that ability to think about multiple things at once and adapt. What's also really interesting is to hear how Derek describes what it's like to sit in the cockpit of a high-speed race car. You know, I'm lucky enough to race various cars, sports cars, different types of sports cars, some of them formula cars, some prototypes, and with many in this amazing production-based race car. And each one is really different, but the same things that apply to all of them is that you're tied in super tight to the seat that you really can't move from. So the only thing that moves is your arms and your legs. You don't have any range of motion as far as your head goes because there's a halo, which is a piece of the seat that keeps your head from rattling back and forth if you ever get in an accident. And then we wear a Hans device, which basically keeps the helmet from going too far forward, and that's underneath the straps of your seatbelts. You basically, once you're tied in, you have zero range of motion except your hands and your feet and you're looking through a very small visor in the middle of the helmet, you only have about an inch of height, maybe inch and a half of height in your visor, plus maybe five to six inches of width. So you're basically in this really claustrophobic space that in general circumstances, you probably wouldn't want to be in for a long time. But in the race, once you're in that car, it actually becomes this comfort level. Like you want to tighten yourself in further and further and further as the races go on. If you kind of imagine just sitting in the chair that we're sitting in now, is that's your entire space for the car. So even though you have this large thing that's maybe 20 feet long or 18 feet long and 8 feet wide, you're only sitting in a 2 by 2 space and that's your space. Okay, that's something I would never do. How about you, Bill? Oh, nope, never. But Derek gives me an understanding of one of the great photographs by Daryl Moran in our exhibition at Woodmere and makes it clear why his talent is so extraordinary. Daryl manages to squeeze himself and his camera inside the Valvoline car just before the start of the race, and we see the driver strapped 
bolted and caged in. The human body becomes part of the machine and yet is in control and completely focused. When you see this image, it looks as if the driver is, you know, ready to launch into outer space on a rocket. But, you know, sounds pretty claustrophobic to me. But, you know, not only having to manage sitting in a small space for hours on end, I mean, sometimes these drivers go for three to four hours in a car. Derek also told us that you have to be able to handle all that noise and deal with really hot temperatures. All the noises you hear, all the revs that you get, that all comes from that little zone that you're in. It's loud, it's hot, it's probably 30 to 40 degrees warmer inside the cockpit of a car than it is outside. So it's 100 degrees out, it's 130 inside the car. And the track surface, which is always hotter than the uh, ambient temperature, comes up to the floorboards, so does your exhaust. So you're sitting in this thing that's extremely hot and really, in most cases, would be really uncomfortable. But for some reason, when you're driving and you're racing, it's your comfort zone. You know, you get used to how the revs of the car go, where the vibration of the motor is where you shift. There's a lot of little visual aids that we have in there too. You know, we have data on our dashboard that tells us what our lap time is going to be, what our last lap time was, what our fuel readouts are, what type of fuel remaining we have. Some cars tell you what the brake temperatures are and all these different bits that you can read off and kind of analyze while you're driving. It all sounds very complex. And from what I've gathered, what's really important in a race is the driver's team. Racing is primarily team-driven. I think the driver gets a lot of the, kind of like the way a quarterback would get all of the publicity, but it's really the team. The driver's just wheeling the thing once it's out there, so you need to be good at wheeling that thing, but the lead-up to that and during the race, it's all the team. So, you know, we have engineers that are telling us what's going on in the car. Some of these prototype cars, for instance, they'll actually literally tell you that you're braking too light or braking too hard, you're overheating the brakes, you're doing this, and they're watching that live. So they're telling you when you're going to a corner, hey, ease up on that brake. There's constant communication back and forth. And at some races, fans can apparently even listen to this back and forth between the drivers and their teams. You could bring headsets, which a lot of people do, or rent headsets, where you're actually listening to the driver. That's my colleague, Nick Izzy, who's the chief financial officer here at Woodmere. We work together every day, preparing the museum's budgets, monitoring our endowment, and managing the cash flow that the museum runs on. I've come to know that Nick loves auto racing, and he's going to explain for us the different types of conversations you might hear if you use headphones at a NASCAR race. They have different frequencies for each driver, so you can flip them over and listen to one driver and then flip it over. You can hear the driver speaking to his crew chief and then also to his spotter. A spotter is someone who's located at a high end of the racetrack looking down, and he tells them there's an accident ahead. Go left, go right, be careful. Somebody's on your tail. He's ready to pass you. So they're, they're constantly being monitored by a spotter, but they're also talking to their crew chief. You can listen to all that. And what Nick is saying here reminds me of another photograph that Daryl Moran took. In this particular shot, he shows us the rainbow-colored DuPont car of Jeff Gordon and the action of the pit crew during a fuel and realignment stop. There are about eight guys working in unison. 
All four tires are being changed as the car is jacked up. Fuel is being pumped in and dead bugs are being removed from the windshield. Amazingly, this all happens in 20 seconds. I can't even tell you how long it takes me to change a tire. Ever since Nick was a teenager, he's been into race car driving. I had an uncle and aunt that lived in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. And uh, I used to go to visit our uncle up there, and he happened to own all the concession stands at Nazareth Speedway. So we would go up and we would help make hoagies and stuff that they would sell at the stock car races there at Nazareth Speedway. It was just a half-mile dirt track. And uh, I would sneak out and I would go watch the races. So I always had uh, an affection for auto racing. And then I was about 14 years old, and I bought a magazine called Stock Car Auto Racing. And that introduced me to what NASCAR was. I really didn't know anything about it. And that was the year also that I got, it was the big Christmas gift that year, was transistor radios. So I got into the Phillies in 1964, and then also got involved with listening to NASCAR races, particularly Daytona 500, because it wasn't televised. It would always be tape delayed. And I would go up to the third floor uh, of our helm so I could get good reception and it really wasn't that good so I could listen to Daytona 500 or I would just put the transistor radio antenna against the rain spout down on the first floor which would go up to the roof and try to get reception. And then around the time Nick was 18 he went to his first NASCAR race. The first time was in Trenton. There used to be a track in Trenton, New Jersey that no longer exists when I would go uh, watch the races back then when Richard Petty was the king of NASCAR. It was very uh, exciting at that time to go watch one. It actually drove me to the point where, where I raced local stock cars for about six years when I was working my first job. I raced local stock cars at Flemington Speedway, which is no longer in existence in New Jersey, and in Bridgeport Speedway, which is still there. And, uh, you know, it was my brothers and a friend. We both raced cars together. And uh, I waited till after college, and I went to trade school to learn more about mechanics at a, a local tech school. And uh, so, you know, we, we had fun doing it. Nick says they'd race on a half-mile track and would reach maximum speeds of 90 to 95 miles per hour. And in doing so, he did have several accidents along the way, including one that resulted in him having a concussion and another a broken wrist. Nick even showed us a newspaper article about one of his crashes, which included photos of a really bad wreck that he walked away from with minor injuries. 1975, when I was racing at Bridgeport Speedway, and another driver in front of me spun out, I hit him, and it caused me to flip over. So they have these series of photographs on page one of Ariota Racing News that showed the sequence of what happened that day. And everything happened so quickly. But it wasn't serious as far as injury is concerned. I still have a little scar in my hand there. And it was not my worst accident. Sometimes it's best to flip a car rather than like hit a wall because all the, the energy is taken out when you're actually rolling over. But you have all the other uh, harnesses and stuff to protect you. But back then I, I wasn't wearing gloves, which I started wearing afterwards. So I cut my hand when the car went over because your, your hands start to flail. So I hit the edge of the roof and cut my hand. So I knew better next time to wear gloves. And now it's mandatory you have to wear all those kind of things. While it's been years since Nick last race cars, he's still a fan. And he likes going to big NASCAR races when he can. And also some of the local stock car races in our area. 
it's pretty infectious. Uh, if I could do it today, I would do it. Nobody would want me to do it at my age. <laughs> but uh, it, it's something that doesn't leave your system once you do it. And, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people never go into an auto race. Usually somebody has to take them who's already been there before to get introduced to it. But I think the American psyche is hung up on the automobile. It is exciting, like any sport, once you get into it. Uh, if you've never been to one, you may not develop that aptitude to liking a particular sport. The visual part is huge because it's colorful, it's loud, there are a lot of people there. With respect to an NASCAR race, you could smell the exhaust. You could hear the sounds of the, the motors, obviously. It's very loud, depending on what racetrack you go to. So the visual and the audio and all the sensory things are, are very impactful when you go to a NASCAR race. Somewhere earbuds for the noise. I like hearing the, the sound. I actually like going down to the bottom of the track to be able to feel the speed and feel the vibration of the cars as they go by. What Nick is saying here reminds me of another photograph that Daryl Moran took. It's a photo that gives you a real sense of what it's like to be at a race. Daryl took the shot from high up, and so you see the stand and the infield from above. An aerial view that is expansive. That would have been from the flag stand during the start of the race, so where the flag man drops the green flag, I would have been standing right next to him, and I did that shot, obviously, because, uh, you know, it was a great opportunity to get the field and the fans in the same frame that way. Plus the uniqueness of being able to actually stand up in the flagman stand for the start of the race. So here you have this picture that gives you the macro view of the racetrack. You really see how large it is, the thousands of fans in the audience, and the sheer magnitude. But at the same time, Daryl is able to capture the microcosm, the details, the small elements of the race that bring it to life. Working like a documentary photographer, Daryl captured what was happening on the ground, in the garages, the pit stops, the expressions of the drivers, and of other people who worked on the track. Here, for example, he shows a woman who was known as Miss Winston. The Sports Elite Racing Series was sponsored by the R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company and was known as the Winston Cup Series. Here's Daryl. At the time when it was Winston, she walked around with the big case full of cartons of cigarettes for all the drivers and the crew chiefs. And she knew this driver smoked Winston, this driver smoked Camel, and they would all come to her and they would get their free cigarettes. And times have changed. And we've often rewound the clock. But fast forward to today, NASCAR has undergone some big changes and the sport is not as popular as it once was. In recent years, NASCAR has been experiencing a decline in TV viewership. And apparently the most recent Daytona 500 race had some of its lowest TV ratings ever. Some blame the ability to live stream races on smartphones and computers instead of turning on the television. Also, there's some speculation that millennials today just might be less interested in cars than, say, the baby boomer generation that was born and raised at a time in America when cars were glorified. And then like any other major sport today, ticket prices, of course, are a factor, especially since going to a NASCAR race can involve a weekend full of spending on transportation, meals, hotels, and so forth. 
Even independent photojournalist Cheryl Center has noticed a decline in media coverage of NASCAR. She photographed NASCAR races in New Hampshire, off and on between the years of 2009 and 2017. It's actually a beautiful track. It's relatively new. But the traffic going in and out is horrible, so you have to get up at the crack of dawn to get there before the traffic so that you can get the um, drivers prepping and all of that stuff, which is actually interesting, too. Everything is interesting but the actual race. It's just going around in circles and circles. Really, the fans are the most interesting part uh, the whole thing. Unfortunately, I was never hired to cover the fans. My job was to stay in one corner of the racetrack and wait for car crashes. Besides having to stay incredibly alert, Cheryl says she was always zooming in on all the little details you might otherwise miss. That's what I'm all about is moments, slices of life, the real person behind the curtain. I, I mean, that's what I'm always looking for. It wasn't so much the cars racing, it was everything else that went into making that race. The fans, the crew working with intensity on the cars and, you know, and then the cars would take off and everybody would kind of deflate and, uh, you know, wait for the car to come back in and then all of a sudden they'd pop back to life. And in an unusual twist, Cheryl says there was a tradition at the Speedway in New Hampshire that sometimes made for some interesting photos. For me, it's just the people, the reactions. Um, in Victory Lane, after you win, they haul out these gigantic lobsters, which I'm an animal lover. And to see these ancient crustaceans being hauled out into a race truck in summer heat and then hung by their claws is just kind of hard for me. But then I got to make lemonade out of lemons. And this one shot, the race car driver held it up and he had his wife who was holding their newborn baby standing next to him. And she took one look at that giant lobster and just pulled her baby away from her husband and the lobster. And her lips just got kind of like flat and she's like, you know, grimacing, looking away. And that shot ran everywhere because it was just so funny, her just instant reaction. I just loved that. But while Cheryl looked for those humorous moments the inherent risks of the job were constantly on her mind. When you're working in the garage area, it's intense because the cars literally are zooming in and out and you could get hit. And it's your fault if you get hit. It's not their fault because it's your job to have eyes all the way around your head and stay out of everybody's way. A few years ago in 2010, I contracted this rare airborne virus and it completely wiped out my hearing in my left ear. I have no auditory nerves in my left ear now. And I didn't want to tell anybody because I was afraid I wasn't going to get work. So you only have mono hearing when you have one ear. You need stereo hearing when you are in that garage situation because there is so much going on, so many things that can hurt you. It was just terrifying. The first day, I was just absolutely terrified. It was not a good experience, but the human body adapts and your other senses make up for it. And so the following race was okay. But actually that whole weekend was kind of scary for me. As you just heard Cheryl say, she didn't tell anybody about what she was dealing with at the time for fear that she wouldn't get any work, which she says is a common concern among some other female photojournalists she knows. 
As a female covering NASCAR, there aren't that many women photographers. It's a lot of guys. It's a good old boys club. But really, things are so intense there that they don't really have time to single you out as a woman, which is a blessing. You know, they try not to get run over themselves. So when I first got into the business, discrimination was horrible. My first staff job, they openly told me that I got my job through affirmative action and that I was a token female. Um, I have paid my dues in male discrimination in the business, sometimes blatant, sometimes subliminal, always there. I never thought now at this stage in my life that I would still be going through it. But as a female, you do. You can check out Cheryl's photographs of NASCAR online at CherylCenter.PhotoShelter.com. That's C-H-E-R-Y-L-S-E-N-T-E-R.PhotoShelter.com. As we heard from Stephanie, NASCAR is definitely not as popular today as when Daryl Moran got hired in the 1990s to become the organization's first official photographer. Another big reason is there aren't as many big names in racing today as there were back then, like Dale Earnhardt, Rusty Wallace, Mark Martin, Tammy Jo Kirk, Harry Gant, and Jeff Gordon, all drivers who Daryl photographed and some of whose photos you can see as part of our exhibition at Woodmere. We're going to hear from Daryl right now about how he even got the NASCAR job in the first place, which wasn't something he'd set out to do. The story starts when Daryl worked for an automotive painting company. I worked for DuPont Automotive Finishes in Lyonville, Pennsylvania. They had a huge warehouse, storage facility, sales, and we also mixed paint. I believe in 92, they decided to get involved in this sport called NASCAR. And they entered into it by becoming the official paint finish. So that became the tagline, the official finish of NASCAR. One day I got these paint mix equations that were colors I had never seen before, but they were, you know, it was day glow colors, blue and red and all these like rainbow colors, metallic base coat. So I mixed up these paints, sent them off and found out they were actually the paints for Jeff Gordon's first NASCAR Winston Cup car that he raced in. So the following year, which would have been 93, was when Jeff started and did his first full season in the NASCAR Winston Cup Series from day one. And uh, DuPont sent all of us um, that were involved um, in the refinish. They gave us pit and garage passes. So we got to go down to Dover and had access to, you know, the driver's area and the pit row and back in the garage area. So I took my camera gear. At this point, Daryl was a self-taught photographer and was taking photos on the side, shooting weddings on the weekends and things like that. But as he started taking more photos at NASCAR races and capturing many of the behind-the-scenes details that really had never been documented before, Daryl found himself sending off photographs to marketing reps for the various race car teams. And then one day at home, he got a call from the marketing director of NASCAR. I'm like, oh boy, okay, here we go. So I'm like ready to go. I'm not selling these pictures, I swear to God. I just, I'm doing it for fun. And before I even really had a chance to say anything, she said, um, 
I just want to let you know that we are sitting here with a number of your photos spread out on our table in the boardroom. And she goes, you are capturing images of NASCAR the way that we want it to be captured. So I was asked if, you know, I would be interested in coming down to Daytona to NASCAR headquarters and having a meeting to discuss becoming NASCAR's first official photographer. Daryl took the job and got three different race day uniforms. He started traveling to different racetracks and recalls how NASCAR was undergoing an expansion at the time to open more tracks around the country in an effort to branch out from the sport's southern routes. And when he covered the races, here's how Daryl approached the job. I would start out each race from the beginning, from the time we got to the track with the officials, to the unloading of the vehicles, to inspection, to practice, to qualifying, and so on. When you get to race day, and you know it starts building up to, you know, the crowd starts coming in. It's like one of the terms that somebody used to say back then was, every NASCAR race is like a Super Bowl. That's the kind of enthusiasm that you get from the fans and the buzz of action that you get going on. Every single race is like a Super Bowl. He loved all the action and that it forced him to quickly hone his skills on the job. I had to be fast-paced and I had to learn to be quick. I had to learn to anticipate because every single race, like I almost gave myself that pressure of, you know, this is once in a lifetime. You can't blow this shot. So I had to learn to handle pressure. I had to learn to handle fast turnaround from race to race i would always look back at each race and go well what could i do a little bit better what could i how could i get the cars to look a little better what didn't i get i just built this series of ways to improve and present it constantly kept me in practice from the technical to the candid because you know i'm dealing with vehicles going 160 150 miles an hour i'm dealing with night races i'm dealing with you know action pit row guys moving you know running jumping you know, moving equipment around, throwing things. And to get some of his shots, Daryl took a fair number of physical risks, as you're about to hear him describe when he talks about one of the photographs in the exhibition. This is me in the pace car. This is actually Texas Motor Speedway. The entire field is behind me, and I believe in this one we were in a Dodge Dakota, and I was literally hanging out the side, shooting back. I used to wrap the seatbelt around my leg. I had a little system, I wasn't going anywhere. Certainly not a job for everyone, but after a few years of the fast-paced work, constant travel, and living out of a suitcase away from his family, Daryl decided to leave the job after getting phone calls like this one from his wife. She told me that my youngest, Brian, said his first words, and I wasn't there. And then it wasn't that long after that I was in, I believe, Northern California. And he took his first steps. And I had missed other things, and that was it. Those were two things that I still regret missing. And I decided I'm not missing anything else. If I were single, it would have been a perfect job. But being married with three kids, you know, it was a bittersweet decision. I actually don't regret it at all. A lot of people have asked me over the years, do you regret that you resigned from NASCAR? Not even a little bit. Come out and see us at Woodmere. Our Fast Lane exhibition will be up and on view from July 14th through October 28th. 
come join us for an open house reception on July 14th from 2 to 4 p.m. and have a chance to meet photographer Daryl Moran and talk race cars. Log on to our website, woodmereartmuseum.org, where you can find a digital catalog about the exhibition along with related events and programs. Please also follow us on social media at Woodmere Art. Until next time. Thank you.